Hey there, Bogus listeners. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Forever Bogus Podcast. And it's me, your bogus host that knows the most, B-Boy Bogus Bryce, a.k.a. Bryce Shoemaker, staring at the beautiful bangs of my best friend Jamie Killsby, a.k.a. Hey, what's up, everybody? Nazi punks, fuck off. That's right. <laughs> it's J-Dog. Back on the Forever Bogus Podcast. Thank you for having me again my friend bryce it's it's, it's great so to be back. funny that you say that you always say like and i'm back like like no one's surprised that you're back you're here permanently I'm, dude. i might be i might not be you never know <laughs> <laughs> I, you can always be replaced i can always be uh, replaced i'm joking i'm joking I'm i can joking. be replaced by a robot that looks and sounds like me and maybe that's even what's going on to maybe be completely it is dude. honest with you but uh bryce i want to ask you a question when yes. you were a young worm uh-huh um did you were you were you a punk? Did you like punk music? When I was a little worm, I was not into punk. I didn't really get into punk until I became a skateboarder. Well, when you were when when you were a teenage worm, you you liked punk. Oh, I see, a teenage worm. Yeah, but that was more of a poser. I was more into like pop punk shit. Like, I'm, okay, what about that's you okay, though? That's like, okay. were were you into like some heavier punk, like actual punk stuff? So yeah, and I have uh, my uncle entirely to thank for that, and and frankly. Without his influence, I'd be a totally different person. Um, really? I was – I'll, I'll put you in a situation. It was sixth grade and I was getting – I was starting to get kind of into industrial a little bit. Like, like nine tool? inch, Nine inch <laughs> – no, like nine inch nails. Okay, and, still just as bad. And stuff like that. <laughs> I, 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 I will not say that. I, You know, Trent is – he's cringy but he at least is a good composer and sure. whatever. So I was getting kind of into industrial music and um, – my uncle came by and he said, hey, my my band, you want to come see my band play? And I, I remember because I had the Nine Inch Nails CD and I turned it off and I said, yeah, I'll, I'll go with you. And um, <laughs> that kind of spawned years and years of me as I, I was young, man. I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, and I would uh, put my hood up over my head and I would carry a drum piece and I would keep my head down so the bouncer couldn't see me and they would just they wouldn't think anything and they'd just <laughs> let me in. You're pretty tall for for that age, I'm sure. I, I, I was a little tall. I was about average. Yeah, it was, let's face it. The bouncer knew what the fuck was up, but, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> going to bust care. my chop. You know, the coolest <laughs> thing, and I, I, a lot of super heavy, deep punk influence in my life that I didn't really realize and pick up on until later, like uh, my first, not my very first show, but my second show – my uncle ever took me to his band opened for the murder junkies. Oh, wow. And, Are you serious? Uh, yeah, so this had to have been like what post GG Allen. I'm assuming. Sure. Yeah. GG Allen had been dead and, and no longer in the murder junkies for okay. several years. This was like 2002 or 2003. Oh, okay. But, uh, I saw the Murder Junkies, you know, famed band wow. of Gigi Allen, uh, Carnage, blood, shit, and piss, and everything you want with it. And uh, it was great because my uncle's band was a hardcore punk band, but they had uh, some poppy kind of influences. So it really caught the attention of, like, the teens and, and stuff like that. Sure. And um, 
So there were a lot of 16-year-olds really excited to see my uncle's band play. And then in walks Merle Allen, the, the brother of G.G. <laughs> wow. Allen. And I didn't know who he was at the time because I was a kid. I had never even, I don't even think I ever heard of G.G. Allen. And uh, Merle Allen comes in and he has red sweatpants on. And he has a big hole. Like Santa Claus. Yeah, yeah, exactly like exactly like Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly like Santa Claus. Wow. And because he, he had black boots on too, so black boots and red sweatpants. <laughs> but he had a big hole cut in the crotch of the sweatpants. And he sat down on a couch in the venue. Oh God. And he lifted his leg up on the, you know, the seat of the, the coffee couch, table. Oh, and his, I see. And his dick and his balls came out. Oh. And all you should have seen it. It was like you would think like. Poisonous gas was just released. All the teenagers Jesus. ran out. They ran, and so I we watched <laughs> we watched the murder junkies play to just us. And I wouldn't find out who they were until years later. But yeah, that's um, amazing. Punk music has has been a really big influence in my life, and almost to a fault because. I find a lot of things lame because of my years with with punk music. Sure, nothing can compare. And if you haven't noticed already, we're talking about punks today on the Forever Bogus Podcast. That is right. We're five <laughs> minutes in. I guess I should say why we're talking about what we're talking about. Yes, yeah, I punk guess music. So. Um, it, very influential when you're feeling like a rebellious teenager, and oftentimes when you have genuine, you know, political things to say or sure. or, or or grievances. Um, but we like to keep it fun and uh, pop culture here on the Forever Bogus podcast. So we wanted to talk about punk representation in movies and TV shows. That is right. And this idea actually came from a listener, our good man, Gorgeous Jeff. Gorgeous Jeff. Uh, over at uh, Sip and Spin Radio on Instagram, uh, suggested this episode idea. And we're like, fuck yeah, why not, man? Yeah, great idea, uh, Jeff. Thank you for recommending it. I actually can't believe we haven't done this yet i mean it's so because true one of the best things if you are well versed with punk music you know fake punk when you see it oh you know, yes. you know what you know you see like if snickers made a commercial with a punk in it you would fucking cringe your screen your skin would crawl <laughs> yes. but that's kind of the most fun stuff to take in and in, in, it in, is you know and we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into some of our favorite picks so bryce i know you focused on uh, punk representations in television. That's and right. I did the same, but generally for film. That's right. And it's funny that you say that, even though like when you think of punks, you think of teenagers, but most of like the actual hardcore punk bands, they're like in their thirties. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it's so interesting. Well, it's, I think, you know, the time that you're going to be influenced by it most is when you're a teenager. That's so and true. And if you get fully pulled in, you'll, you'll never really let go. And I mean, I kind of, I don't want to like, I wouldn't. I would not describe myself as a punk or a punk rocker anymore. Me neither. But uh, it is in my blood, and so much music cr makes me cringe because it's still in my blood. You know. That's right. You will never catch me listening to country music. You'll never catch me listening to <laughs> pop music. There's some rap I like. What's worse and most offensive, if you like, if you got really into ba bands like Black Flag and the Germs and stuff, uh -huh. is when you listen to pop punk, you're like, this is like, this is like Black Flag on. You know, diet. This is like diet Pepsi. Uh -huh. uh, yes, exactly. That's a good way to put it. But yeah, man, let's get into it. So you're talking TV. Who, who first came to your mind when thinking about punk representations in television? Well, I have five different picks here, and it's interesting how they all lay out because they have a common thread. It's like it's it's a main character that turns punk. They're not really punk to start off with. They turn punk to either to impress somebody or to turn somebody off. That's great. Very interesting. So my first pick is Clarissa 
from Clarissa Explains It All. Oh, she and went it, punk, huh? She she went punk for just a few minutes in the episode Cool Dad, which we actually talked about on our uh, TV Party Tonight episode, which is also another punk reference. Cool Dad. Yeah, you're right. We're in the punk uh, trifecta here. Um, we are. Cool Dad is a great band name. If that's not already taken, that's your punk band I was, right I there. was in a band called Young Uncle, oh, which I thought was, was a really cool, yeah, yeah, it was a cool uh, band name. Listener Scott and I are we call ourselves the drunkles because we I like are that. You know, drunk uncles but I like um that. yeah so uh, so go on man tell me about uh when clarissa okay. went full-on avril on us man so in uh cool dad uh clarissa's school is having a career day and as you can imagine clarissa is embarrassed to have her dad come out and present about his career which is mostly based in architect he would uh you know put these weird kind of buildings together. Like he had a building that was looked like a shoe. For, I'm going to build uh, your house. <laughs> yes, He's exactly. Gonna build your house. We're, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. So Clarissa is trying to come up with an idea to avoid this entirely. And she's tells her dad, like, you know what? Uh, they actually canceled career day or, you know what? Um, all the kids in our school are really mean to, to people. And she went as far as, dressing up in punk attire to show her dad how the kids dress and act. And she actually looks kind of cool. She's in all black leather. It's like all studded out. There's even like these weird like handcuffs on like the, the shoulders of her leather jacket. She has this really wild black hair. She has this black uh, dog collar on and she's like really thick black lipstick. (laughs) It's, it's kind of impressive. I'm kind of lucky or let's say not lucky, whatever, that I did not catch this episode when I was a kid because I would have <laughs> been that? like, I want her to stand on me. <laughs> <laughs> step on me, Clarissa. <laughs> Come on, Clarissa, step on me. Um, but this actually backfires because her dad was like, oh, so really, uh, they're pretty impressionable, so I can go in dressed up as MC Hammer, like an MC Hammer outfit with a parachute pants and everything, and perform his rap song as MC Square. <laughs> I'm going to build, build your house. house. He's, He's going to build, build your house. <laughs> so there is a scene in this episode where Clarissa's dad and Sam, Clarissa's best friend, are decked out in MC Hammer like attire, and they have like this whole like routine uh choreograph routine when they're rapping from one another it's it's kind of impressive like i think i actually got it down uh but the, the whole reason why i'm talking about it is because clarissa looks kind of rad as a punk and i kind of wish they played that up a little more i almost wish that she went a whole season as a punk i kind of would have dug that kind of i don't know she kind of after a while i would think that she was a poser but at the same time, she'd had that attitude, like, question everything, fuck authority. Yeah. Like, she kind of had a punk attitude. So it could have worked out for her. She is uh, Daria in the streets and uh, yeah. Urkel in the sheets. But <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, that is amazing. Yeah. Wow, Jamie, we just stumbled upon something amazing. Yeah, well, like, we got to write that down. Somebody put a pin in that. Uh, before we do that, though, what's the, what's the first film you want to talk about on your list? Yeah, so I, I, I can't talk about punk in film uh, without starting where it all possibly started, which is with Rock and Roll High School in 1979. Yes, with the Ramones. With the Ramones, man. And this is this is the birth of, of, of punk in film. And this is like the birth of – I mean, this gave people a view of, of what they thought punk was. 
yes. for the first time in a, in a major way. I mean, before this, this was still very niche. This is 1979, man. Think about that. Um, wow. This is directed by Alan Arkish and co-directed, co-directed by an uncredited Joe Dante. Oh, uh, Joe Dante of Gremlins and Piranha and just about fucking everything. That's great. Yeah. A little explanation on that. And the last day of shooting... Uh, last day shooting the film, Alan Arkish, he, he was hospitalized for exhaustion. The film was a really daunting film. It took several days and and people were getting sick and they were tired and they were angry. So he he passed out and he had to go to the hospital. Wow. And Joe Dante <laughs> stepped in. They tapped him on the shoulder and they said, hey, let's get, the, let's get this guy in here to film this. And he finished the scene up. And, uh, you know, so he filmed the uh, – Joe Dante was there for the scenes where PJ Souls sings her version of Rock and Roll High School. Okay. Uh, the long take in the bathroom, the scene, uh, any scene with the, the phone booth, you know. So Joe Dante stepped up and finished it, but that's why he's uncredited, but it's really an Alan Arkish joint. Um, a little bit about this film in case you haven't seen it PJ Souls, who we actually know uh, from Halloween, uh, the original Halloween. She uh, gets gets murdered uh, in the attic. She's the one where Michael Myers puts on the bedsheet over his head and pretends to be the boyfriend in a ghost yep. costume. Uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, uh, PJ Souls is is a completely wonderful woman. Just so sweet. Uh, she goes to almost every con. Is this, this she still around? She's still around, and she's just such like a sweet mom. She, uh, <laughs> I was in the elevator with her. And I said I kind of was looking at her, and I didn't really say anything. And, I, and eventually, uh, she kind of like nodded and smiled. She was like, "You want a picture?" And I'm like, "Yeah." So we we took a picture, <laughs> and, so she, and she yeah, she's so sweet. She'll always take a picture with you for free, and she's just happy to have fans and people that like her work. But uh, yeah, anyway, so this is PJ Soul. She plays a, a punk named Riff, and um, she's in, in in this heated battle with the new strict principal. Uh, at the Vince Lombardi High School, which keeps losing its principals to nervous breakdowns because of the students' love of rock and roll. Yes. <laughs> uh, and their disregard of education. Um, but uh, Miss Togar, so that's, that's a new a hardened principal. She attempts to burn a pile of rock records uh, with the parents. And the students take over the high school, joined by the Ramones. And it's just this wonderful uh, early punk story of... Teenage Rebellion at its finest. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of little things in this film. I mean, if you go on and if you're interested in this film, uh, if you haven't seen it, I recommend it. If you have seen it and you like it, the the, the IMDb page um, is massive. Uh, there are so many facts and little little who's it's oh, and yeah. what's it about this movie because there's so many people that worked on it. But I picked out a few that I want to share with you that I find to be kind of either the most funny or the most interesting. But uh, okay. Clint Howard's role in the film was originally meant for B-horror 80s icon Eddie Deason. Um, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so younger listeners of the show will know Eddie Deason as the voice of Mandark from Dexter's Lab. Yep. Ah, Mandark. But uh, – He was also, I think – Snap and uh, the Rice Krispie commercials. Oh, back Jesus in the 90s. Christ! He looks like Snap. Yes. He's got a big head and a little ass body. Yep. But he's yeah, he's in a ton of like '80s horror movies, terrible movies, um, a Beverly Hills Vamp, like all kinds of great stuff like that. Um, oh, one thing I really liked about this. So they, they, of course, this film has the Ramones. That's the big draw with this movie is is the uh-huh. Ramones. You know, Dee Dee Ramone is in this movie, and apparently. He's such a bad actor that he initially had seven lines in the movie, and they cut it down to they two. They cut it. 
because he couldn't deliver he the, the war and, and his lines are his two lines let's talk about his two lines okay okay here's line one that they left him hey pizza that's when the pizza arrives <laughs> and also when the pizza gets into the room hey pizza it's great let's dig in that's his second line <laughs> that's amazing Didi ramon cheers hats off to you salute my friend um, I hate DD, but yeah, uh, <laughs> he's the worst Ramon. Um, he is. The Ramones were paid a total of twenty five thousand dollars for appearing in this film, uh, and they actually had to play shows in Southern California to help pay their hotel bills during the filming. And That's uh, wild. during the twenty one day shoot, DD, our favorite Ramon, he got arrested uh, for fighting with a roadie, and he actually overdosed when he was in jail, and he wound up in Cedars Sinai Hospital with a three thousand dollar medical bill. So this film was not not profitable, <laughs> not for them. I mean, I'm sure they got royalties no. down the line, but they had sure. to they had to work second jobs in order to afford the hotels to stay there. Then DD wound up in a hospital with with an overdose bill. Wow, and actually. Are one of our favorites, man. One of my favorites. I, I, I think one of yours, uh, Roger Corman. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He he had his hands on this too, and, and as a producer credit, and uh, he was a, you know, Roger Corman um, is just one of the most famous cheapo directors, producers. I mean, uh, he can make. He's amazing. He's amazing. He really is amazing. <laughs> yes, he if is. you give him a hundred dollars, he'll give you like a, a masterpiece, kind of an epic sci-fi. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it's kind of amazing, but one of his things, I mean, he's Rod Cannon films is Roger Corman. You know, if you ever see those eighties action films with Chuck Norris, uh, um, great paintings on the cover of him, punching explosions and like blood debts and all these great American Ninja. Yeah, American Ninja. Like, exactly. Yes. That's, that's Roger Corman. And so he, he had his hand in this and apparently not only was he a famous cheapo, he's also a publicity genius. And so he invited real life music journalists to work as extras in the film. And huh. that would give them, you know, without telling them to do it, to give them motivation to write about the film. That's um, smart. So, yeah, this film is just super iconic, especially about punk and film. And I, I highly recommend it. I know that uh, it is a favorite of uh, of mine. It's a favorite of uh Listener Rob, good friend Rob. He it's one yeah. of his favorite movies. He talks about it all the time. Uh, I can't recommend this movie enough. Uh, PJ Souls is so sweet. Yes, if if you're wanting to get into punk movies and haven't really like don't know really where to start, like this is the baby. Like this is the one that you should cut your teeth on first before you jump into anything else. Yeah, I, I've got a lot here that may be more accessible for people, but yeah. I do I do recommend that if you're if you're interested in the topic at all, punk in film, this is this is it, man. This is the, yes. this is the beginning. I totally agree. Well I'm gonna follow that one up with an episode of Freaks and Geeks. Oh, I love that show. I love that show too. And this one is um it's called Noshing and Moshing, and it uh, deals with Daniel, which is played by James Franco. Mm. And Daniel is having trouble at home and at school, and you're starting to notice that he's kind of like starting to rebel. He's getting sick of everything. He's starting to rebel. One night, he listens to uh, Rise Above by Black Flag oh, yeah. and really enjoys it uh, to the extent where he's like, I think I'm going to... They want to become a punk. Yeah. And then what seals the deal is that he meets uh, this this girl who's a punk at a convenience store, and he gets invited to a, a punk show at this well-known punk venue in the area. And so he decides that he's going to become a punker to impress her. And in doing so, he uh, distresses his leather jacket. He adds like safety pins and stuff like uh, like that to it, like he typically would. 
when you think of like stereotypical punks, he cuts up his t-shirt and his black jeans. He even goes to the extent of adding eggs into his hair to make him like spike up, which ends up turning like white because of the <laughs> egg yolk. <laughs> great show, man. Really I good love show. That. Great, yes, great yes. Halloween episode. Uh, oh, yes. But, yeah, we actually talked about that. Yeah, we did. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those shows that I actually – it's one season, and when you watch it, it's so good that when it ends and you know there's no more, you feel kind of empty inside. I, I did for a long time. I tried to find someone to replace it. Like the, the closest thing I can get to it is probably The Adventures of Pete and Pete. Yeah. It still has that kind of quirkiness, and the only only difference is that you could definitely tell that Freaks and Geeks was, was set in the 80s, yeah. and they kind of really played that up. But anyway, so... He, um, Daniel invites his other two buddies to come to the punk show with him because he wants to get involved with this punk girl. And he goes to this punk show and he's kind of a fish out of water. He doesn't really know what to expect with it. There are people who are punching each other. Like there are no, essentially no rules at this, at this punk venue, as you would think of like a stereotypical punk venue. Anarchy, fuck everything. I hate and there my are people teachers. Who are playing, I hate my mom yes. and dad. <laughs> exactly. There are people who are like underage drinking. They're playing pool. There are people who are jump jumping around. People making out. There's even like uh, this girl who's who's piercing other like punks' noses and stuff like that. It seems like a crazy fucking time. A place I would definitely not attend uh, if, if I was that age. I would probably be scared to go to that type of show. I would want to. I would want to go, but I would be real nervous in my chest on the way there. Exactly. Like, oh, I don't want anybody to make fun of me or hit me or nothing. It's exactly what I'd be worried yeah. about. But it would be an interesting experience, to say the least. So Daniel goes to the extent of getting his nose pierced at the show when he realizes that the punk girl he's trying to impress is into this other punk, like, across the venue. And um, finds out that, like, you know what? I'm being a poser right now, even though multiple people are like talking about posers are assholes and their dicks and stuff. And he's trying to play it up that he's not a poser. He realizes that he is. And at that point, he's like, I'm going to go back to being myself. I don't need to be this other person to impress anybody. I want to be myself. It's a great lesson. And one of the hardest pills to swallow is that you're a poser. Yes. I've been there. I've been there a few times. I think I'm a poser. It is hard to swallow. It is hard to swallow. And it's kind of a trigger word. Even when I hear that now, when somebody calls me a poser about something, I'm like, fuck you, man. You know, (laughs) fuck you. Fuck you. Hey, man, we can't all be drinking 40s out by the train tracks. You know what I mean? We got. I know. I kind of wish we could. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, yeah. I mean, hey, SLC punk, man. What are you going to die? What are you, a poser? Exactly. That comes up for me every time. Quick fun fact, uh, James Franco actually came up with the idea for this episode. Oh, great. Because, And that's what I loved about the uh, the writer and stuff with this is that they actually listened to all the actors. Like if they came up with an idea about their character and their character development, he actually listened and implied that. So he had an idea like, hey, uh, I want my character to have issues at home and at school and trying to cooperate with everything and keep up with everything and decides that. I want to just cut loose and be somebody completely different. And he listened. Yeah. And James Franco's a, uh, a genius, according to all, he is. you know, uh, all sources. He's uh, not only is he a professional movie star and actor, but he's also, you know, was attending like Yale and Harvard at the same yes. time or something fucking ridiculous like that. Yep. Um, but hey, you know, genius or not, there's only one time who I saw. 
you know you see, you see him in that movie and yeah. i know he can't he can't really fully embrace tommy wiseau that the, the person you yeah. know but good on <laughs> yes. him great punk episode it is i'll follow that up with uh something is not decidedly punk but it has has some great punk characters in it okay and uh that is uh rumble in the bronx in 1995 Interesting. Right. This I is, did not see this one coming. Yeah. Okay. I, I tried to get you out of left field a little bit. The you way really the have. way Jackie Chan would. He'd hit you with the southpaw. <laughs> right. So this is a Jackie Chan movie from 1995, and I was a huge Jackie Chan fan as a kid. Oh, me too. I actually like, I don't know, pre-internet, I, I went to the library and I found a book on Jackie Chan. And I took that book to uh, my cousin's house and I, I copied every page with the photocopier. Uh, so I just wow. had pictures of Jackie Chan hung up all around my room that went to him kicking, doing kicks and stuff. Is this the same cousin that said, like, look at me, I'm a Terminator? No, 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 okay, different okay, cousin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> speech impediment Terminator. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, yeah, so I, I loved Rumble in the Bronx. It was actually my first Jackie Chan movie I ever saw back in 1985. This is directed by Stanley Tong, uh, who's a Hong Kong director. He he does a lot of Jackie Chan work. He did Super Cop. Didn't he do Drunken Master as well? I don't think he did. That- no, he didn't do Drunken. Okay, okay, uh, Jackie okay. Chan did Drunk, Drunken Master, not Stanley Tong. Yeah, Stanley sure. Tong okay. did Super Cop, Super Cop 2, First Strike. <clears throat> More recently, he did a movie called Vanguard with Jackie Chan. He did The Myth oh, cool. with Jackie Chan. Um, and, you know, the story of this movie is basically uh, Keong visits his uncle. Keong is Jackie Chan's character in this film. He visits his uncle in New York and agrees to watch his store while he's away you know his uncle owns a little bodega kind of store and uh he agrees to watch it and he winds up getting in deep with these local thugs who seem to have it out with the store and and just being maniacs and the thugs are the guys i wanted to talk about because they are sort of like the proto-punks yes (laughs) they are punk but what makes them so special is that this is a hong kong movie um it had an American release. It had a European release. It had a Hong Kong release, China release. Um, but it is, at its heart, a Hong Kong movie. And what's kind of interesting about these kind of Hong Kong movies, similar to the Italian giallo films, like those Italian horror films, are when they when they film it, they have people from all over. So the thugs are American guys. And you have Jackie Chan and you have Jackie Chan's uncle. Uh, and so everybody speaks their native tongue. Mm-hmm. In the making of the film, just like in an Italian giallo film. Yep. And then and it gets dubbed over. And then it gets dubbed for the region. <laughs> so, yes. you know, you have people, if you watch the American cut, the thugs are, you hear their actual original dialogue from the film, but Jackie Chan is is overdubbed with English. So uh-huh. it's, it's, it's kind of strange, kind of mixed up, but it gives these punks the feeling that I love so much about them because they're just like off. Yes. You know, it, it's, it's. It is out of place almost. Out of it's, place. It's, it's punk. It's, it works perfectly. Punk thug characters from like dingy New York written by a guy from Hong Kong. Yes. So, you know, they're kind of, he's the guy walks, he's like, <laughs> watch your mouth, sister, or I'll punch you. You know, like real. <laughs> yes. And he's got like bleach blonde hair. He's got the leather jacket with all the studs. Uh-huh. Uh, he's stealing from the shop. And, and he goes from zero to a hundred. Like, uh, the, the, the girl who works in the bodega when Jackie uh, or Kyung first gets there, Jackie Chan's character, um, she stops this punk from stealing. And instead of, you know, either running away or dropping the thing, 
he, he's like, you bitch! Yeah! And he just starts breaking everything in the store, and he's stomping <laughs> yes. all over the place. Like, and, and at one part, they like ride through the store in dirt bikes and just destroy everything. These are just like <laughs> these proto-punks. And what's, what's great about this, too, is the film was primarily filmed in Vancouver. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so what they did is they had to put up a bunch of fake New York-style graffiti um, <laughs> that had to be taken down at the end of the day, every shooting day. Um, that's hilarious i can see the canadians being like it's okay now yeah. but you gotta take it <laughs> yeah, down i gotta now. take that down buddy uh <laughs> they there were several broken ankles and legs in the making of this film because famously jackie chan does his own stunts uh-huh. and actually what's really great is that director stanley tong every movie that he directs he does the stunts before he would ask somebody else to do it Wow. So he wants to make sure they're doable and they won't kill you. So he puts himself <laughs> out and does it first. So he I actually. Can't think of any other director no, that would do that? Stanley Tong <laughs> might be the best director of all time. Seriously. Um, he broke his ankle making this film. And because there was a jump that he wanted Jackie to do. And he broke his ankle, and then he was like, "I don't know, Jackie. I broke my fucking ankle." <laughs> and uh, but Jackie's, Jackie's like, "Jackie, I'll do it. it. <laughs> I, I will try. I will do it." And he did it, and he succeeded. Wow! But yeah, so the punks in Rumble in the Bronx are the off-brand like proto punks. They're American New York grungy punks, written by a guy from Hong Kong who's maybe never even actually been to New York. And uh, <laughs> you're probably right. And they're, they're, he's like. <laughs> They're too aggressive. They're they're so scary aggressive. They actually kind of remind me a lot of the thugs in The Crow. If you're oh, familiar with The hey, Crow. Because yes. they're just so jacked up and ready to go. Yes. They're always they, like this. They, they're like almost on, almost on like meth they, or something. Yeah, they're, like, they're, they're, they're just drugs. shaking yes. and screaming and just, yes. ah, fuck you, bitch. Uh, excuse <laughs> me, sir. Are you shoplifting? <laughs> fuck you. Ah, yes. ah. Like, it just, yes. <laughs> you know? Um, so that's what I like. I mean, I, I always like, it's one of those things that, you know, we said off the top that when you see an off punk representation, it can be kind of cringy, but I actually kind of like that a little bit. It's kind of funny. You know, when mm-hmm. it's not so realistic. You know, nobody knows anybody like that in the real world. But hey, according to uh, Stanley Tong, and you know what? <laughs> Credit to Stanley Tong because he does all the stunts before he asks Jackie to do them. That's what a punk looks like. And God bless. I I, I, <laughs> I, bless. I wish I was the punk in the Rumble in the Bronx. <laughs> he is so cool. Maybe next time we do, or our next episode, we'll just do it in that fashion. We'll just be yelling to be aggressive the entire time. <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> if the thug from Rumble, Rumble in the Bronx had a and it's a gang of them but i'm thinking of one primarily he's the one with the bleach blonde hair and the studded leather jacket if he had a podcast he wouldn't make it through an episode he would kick a hole through the through the computer (laughs) fuck you (laughs) episode ends great podcast though great podcast you're right right. number one in the charts uh so i'm gonna stay in left field with my next pick here and it's june tuesday from that 80s show oh fuck i remember that yeah (laughs) it was funny because i was we were pretty young when that show came out we weren't like babies but i remember yeah it was 2002 we were young enough and i we were young but i was still like knew enough that when i saw episode one i was like oh yeah this isn't lasting it's not gonna last no no so that 80s show aired on Fox in 2002, four years after the premiere of that 70s show. Man. So I think that they saw the success with that 70s show, and they were trying to bring in that audience with like, ooh, we could do the 80s now, right? Right, right. No, 
No, it only lasted one season. It did not did not last very long. You at know, because the magic with that '70s show is not that it's the '70s; it's that they have like a killer cast and killer writers. Exactly, you know what I mean? and they have really good chemistry. Yeah. Yes, could have been the yes. it could have been the '90s show, but it was just like wicked yep. chemistry. And I'll probably get more into detail about that. But this starred Glenn Howerton, which you'll know as Dennis from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." Yeah, dude, the Dennis yes. method, and he tries to use the Dennis method in that that '80s show. Oh fuck, <laughs> which is fucked up. But <laughs> oh no, uh, Glenn's character works at a record store called Permanent Record, which oh. is a fucking rad name yeah. for a record store. I it's like a great that. record store name. So one day, a punk rocker named June Tuesday starts to work there, and as you can imagine, Glenn. Glenn's character doesn't want to have this because Glenn's character is more of like a, a yeppie. He's like a person that kind of sticks it to the man, but at the same time, like I want to make my money and do well in life. Oh yeah. And uh, June Tuesday is played by Sheller Lee, which doesn't really ring a bell for me, but she does a pretty good job as your stereotypical 80s punker. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of her now, man. She's hot. There you go. Exactly, yes. She has this huge red spiked hair, uh, studded out leather jacket, like a cut-up Sex Pistols t-shirt, body piercings all over, and like these huge chains as like necklaces. Yeah. She looks pretty rad as like your 80s stereotypical punker. She's got that... uh nose and ear piercing that connects with a chain like the yes. like Mosh and Thrasher from WWF in the 90s exactly, the headbangers for exactly. those fucking nerds uh, yes. yeah no she's, she's she's great she she uh yeah I'll take a calendar of her please <laughs> let me be careful I don't know how old she was when she was filming this show uh she was old enough right. I'm pretty sure she was at least 18 you're right, fine right. you're totally fine um and as uh as Dennis would in uh it's always sunny in Philadelphia Glenn's character in that 80s show had this really weird sexual tension with June Tuesday. And I think they ended up hooking up at the end of the of the season. Or I think maybe in the middle of the season. They have a moment where they kiss and then I think they hook up or something. And now like they're a couple, but they're not a couple because their society won't allow it. And she feels a weird way about dating kind of this yuppie guy. It's really fucking kind of weird. Yeah. Like it kind of it kind of goes, um, it takes a turn or a heel from the stereotypical 80s punker story. It's really weird. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why the show didn't do as well as they were expecting, I guess. I'm looking at I'm looking at her now, uh, Shyler Lay. Uh, she, she currently is playing a character named Alex Danvers, who appears in all of the Warner Brothers DC television shows. Supergirl. Weird. Yeah, all those shows. All those like So she doesn't play a superhero. She probably plays like the tech girl or something like that. Uh, PhD. She's a doctor. Oh. She's a doctor in the show. Uh Go Supergirl. Figure. Good for her. You know, Good for her. Man, actually I've been meaning to check out that Supergirl because it looks bad. <laughs> it's on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. Bad to the bone. <laughs> Can't be as bad as Arrow or Flash. Yeah. But anyway, so Fox ended up canceling that 80s show after one season because it failed to gain a wide audience. And uh, also there's a lot of underlaying racism oh, against no. the Asian descent throughout oh, the entire season. I kind of remember season. that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very cringy. It's very fucking hard to watch. I ended up finding like a bootleg DVD back when I was in college. And so I, I watched it and I don't think I got past like the third or fourth episode. I'm like, really? 
I wasted money my money on this. Yeah. This is ridiculous. I actually remember that. That's weird. I only I think I only saw the first episode of the show, and even at a young age, I knew it was going to be canceled. And I also picked up on the uh, the anti Asian um, you know stereotypes. Yes. And, yeah. I, and I was even young. I was like, that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. Exactly. But I will say that they were pretty spot on on the stereotypical 80s punker look with June Tuesday. So if you want to go check out just a photo or the first episode, pretty sure the first episode is on YouTube. So there you go. There's something to, to check out. Yeah. And and I, as Bryce was talking, I looked it up. She was born in 1982. So, okay, you so can, we're good. You can we're look good. at her pictures and whatever you're thinking, you don't need to. She was 20. You, she was 20. You don't so need to good. feel like you're going to go to jail. Um <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Please, let's move on to your next pick. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go to one that you were probably expecting me to talk about, and I can't talk about punks and film without talking about Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. 1985. Of course. Quintessentially the best punk horror movie, in my in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, in my, yeah, I mean, I've got a few more that you know give it a run for its money, but I do think Return of the Living Dead. You know, yes, quintessential punk horror. Uh, maybe the punk horror, if that's a th- even a thing. But yeah. um, this is like, I don't know, if if I was trying to sit somebody down who didn't really know much about 80s horror and wanted to get into it, this would be probably like one of the first movies I showed them, if not the very first. Um, Good idea. If you're at all into the idea of checking out 80s horror and and you don't know where to start, and, and uh, yeah, it, Return of the Living Dead is a great place to start. It has all the tropes of, of the eighties horror and the effects are just fucking wonderful. Uh, there is Linnea Quigley. Uh, Linnea Quigley. Yeah. <laughs> Linnea Quigley is, uh, in this film, Linnea Quigley, you know, from Hollywood chainsaw hookers, night of the demons, sorority babes. Almost the any yeah. B horror movie. Yeah. Seriously. She is the, you know, B eighties horror scream queen. I mean, absolutely. You know, you think of, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis as a scream queen and stuff like that. And that is true. But you know, this is a different brand. Linnea yes. Quigley is uh, just the B horror icon, and she's and she's hot, and she's still <laughs> she's, she's, so she's still movie. doing it too. She's still yes, um, absolutely, and she's got a weirdly young boyfriend. Uh, so huh. guys, there's, Lucky guy. there's always an opportunity for you. <laughs> uh, she <laughs> is like she is kind of like dating your grandma at this point, but. Um, if you, if you want to, I guess it's, it's not out of reach. Uh, Linnea Quigley though, (laughs) she plays a character named Trash Mm -hmm. and, uh, man, she is in, she is fucking smoking in this movie, dude. She really Um, is. This is the movie that turned me on to her. I was like, wow. Yeah. Uh, There's a, cause there's a, it, it is, it's like. If you don't have a taste for like B cheesy movies, it might make your skin crawl a little bit because like she, you know, she's like, uh, she's there driving and they're hanging out in the cemetery and she's like, you guys ever think about dying and death? (laughs) You know, so that's, that's the kind of character she's, she's like, I like to think about dying. And, uh, (laughs) somebody's just playing a music, uh, song on on a uh, radio boombox, And so she instantly like, takes all of her clothes off and actually it's it's uh and, and dancing and it's it is yeah full frontal um not just oh yeah not just top right, but bottom as well that. yes and yeah. uh that's pretty exciting for for me uh disco- you know at a young at age, young age discovering these movies and stuff like that but uh so so i actually wrote down a list of some of the names of the punks in this film right okay so we got linnea linnea quigley as trash 
We got Scuzz. Perfect punk name. We got Spider. <laughs> and we got Suicide. Yeah. I go by Suicide. <laughs> you like Suicide? I like Trash. Trash is, no, trash is the name. Trash is the best name. I actually, yes. I really like Scuzz. Scuzz is great. Scuzz is good too, yes. There's some famous punk lines in this movie. You know, the guy, he's got his leather jacket on and his, his head shaved and his, his nose ring that connects to the earring with the chain. He's like, uh-huh. what do you think this is? You think this is a costume? This is a way of life. <laughs> it's a way of life. Yes, and delivered, <laughs> Punk's forever. delivered just like that. Um, it's great. Their delivery and their acting is actually pretty spot on. Yeah, no, no. Their, their acting is, is great for this job, this kind Especially of film. Especially considering like how low budget this film was. Yeah. And, uh. So what's this film about? Well, essentially, uh, you see one of the punks, he gets a job, and he is working at a warehouse that uh, stores corpses um, that they sell to colleges for, you know, science research and they, and, you know, whatever else. So uh, he's working with this older guy, and the older guy says, hey, you know, you got one down in the basement I want to show you. So apparently uh, this one shows up in this in this big military grade tube and they're told from the military like this should never be unsealed. This needs to stay sealed forever. Yeah. So well, of course, they open it uh, and <laughs> that's when uh, something spooky starts going on and uh, it brings some corpses to life in the warehouse. Then they wind up trying to burn the bodies. Uh, that they brought to life in the warehouse in the mortuary. Bad mistake. <laughs> and then the smoke go- the smoke goes up in the air, and then you see it starts to rain, and then we get that sick music. Oh, oh the sick soundtrack. music. This movie has got oh. wicked soundtrack, dude. And so now yes. we have the punks hanging out in the cemetery waiting for their buddy to get out of work, and all these ghouls are starting to call- crawl out of the ground. Uh, and it- I love the sting of when it all is first happening. One uh-huh. pops up and he's not like a shitty zombie that you see in these movies, like just a regular guy with some makeup on. He's actually like a skull puppet and uh-huh. he pops up and he opens his eyes. He's got eyeballs, skull puppet with eyeballs. And when he opens his eyes, he goes, do you want a party? Oh it's my party God, time. So good. Yeah. Uh, one of the best. Yeah. The, the soundtrack is fucking phenomenal. I listen to it unironically uh, Me too. very often, especially in the summertime. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a good summer like playlist. And it's sure. just a, it's a great summer movie because it takes place on a 4th of July weekend. The very first Oh, I forgot about yeah, that. The, yeah, it's it, you can always watch it on uh July 3rd because the that's Return of the Living Dead Day, July oh, 3rd yeah, because Oh yeah, it does. It's it's like date and time. Yeah, it says daylight time yes, July 3rd. Yes. Yes, and then, then the first thing he says is like the first line of the movie is like, well, I'll see you at the barbecue this weekend. All right, take care. Yep. And he, you know, great Fourth of July movie, great punk movie. It's uh-huh. it's 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 not cringy. It's not a bad depiction of, of uh-huh, punks, punks in film. It is yep. it is the real deal. And I think that real punks would probably watch this and, and get a kick out of it too. Just as well yep. as people who maybe you're not punk at all and just want a foire and eighties B horror and uh <laughs> you know I, I don't want to be too crude here, but allow me to for a moment. Okay, I'll give you 30 seconds to be crude. I don't even need 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay. Skip ahead five seconds if you don't want the crudeness. But this is 1985, <laughs> and Linnea Quigley is is shaved bald down there. Uh-huh. Um, and that's got to be – she's got to be a pioneer in, in that bald 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Because like all the other films of that era. I really did not think about that. They, they show, she might be like one of the first women that ever did that. Um, so, or at least the first woman I ever saw do that. So thank you, Lydia Quigley. I'm proud to be an American. Well, at least I know I I'm know free. I'm punk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm punk. Wow, great pick, man. I I can't recommend that movie enough for anybody. Yeah, it's it's so good. It's so it's good. one of my favorite. I'm gonna movies follow ever. that one up with more of like a, a Halloween vibe. How about that? Cool. Yeah, that's great. And we actually talked about this step by step Halloween episode during our Halloween costumes and pop culture. If you have yet to listen to that one, go back and listen to it. Get that. Catch those Halloween vibes. And um, so. This is uh, from the Something Wild episode of Step by Step, where Mark, known as like the nerdy goody goody, turns into a punk rocker to impress a girl. Oh, hell yeah. So uh, Mark meets this alternative looking punker at school and uh, wants to do something a little different outside of his nerdy box. He wants to impress her and uh, maybe actually become her boyfriend. And in doing so, he decides he's going to invite her to his family's Halloween party, which sounds fucking lame. <laughs> I'm going to impress this really punk lame. girl by inviting her to my family Halloween party. <laughs> exactly. You want to meet my mom and dad? Jesus Christ. <laughs> so he decides he's going to dress up as a punk rocker to kind of win her over. And <laughs> he looks ridiculous. He looks probably like, like a poser. Um, uh, my, my rich dad paid for all of my punk outfits. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah, one of yeah, those yeah. things, like, like he comes out with a white and red Mohawk wig. Like it's obvious that it's a wig. Cause he's wearing like a stole, a skull cap, like a bowl, bowl cap oh. that has the wig attached to it. And it's, it's huge. Like it's huge Mohawk that starts off white and at the tip it has red. And then he has this leather, like brand new looking leather vest with all these studs on it. He has this humongous, and I mean humongous, st- safety pin as an earring. And he has a lot of these studded bracelets, which I never really got into. And I really, really under- didn't understand because I always saw like Hot Topic girls wearing them. Yeah. So I'm like, that that is like the opposite right. of what I think. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But he's got like four or five of them. He's, he's even got one on his bicep. Sounds like he's got to be, oh, <laughs> Jesus. Yes. Somebody's got to enlist him into the Poser Academy. Seriously. Seriously. And I don't know how this girl was even into him or was even like humoring him at all. Oh, she got into it. So she got into it a little bit. She like she must be a poser too then. She, you might as well say that she's a poser if she's into <laughs> Mark. <laughs> she arrives at the, the Halloween party and realizes like how lame it is from like the get-go. And Mark comes out and like you hear the audience is like, woo, yeah, like it really into it. If I was there, I'd be like, fucking poser yeah 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 yeah. this is bullshit (laughs) this is bullshit fucking lame hey mark hey yeah what's up name three black flag songs oh no i actually gotta go to class no no you don't you don't you don't gotta go to class just name three black flag songs um rise above okay good (laughs) uh hey look man i really gotta go mark just name two more black flag songs That's it. Two more and I'll let you go. <laughs> so he's he's definitely a poser. And I think she may have realized that. But then she just wanted to mess with him. Maybe that's what the case is. She's like, I'm bored at this party. So I'm just going to mess around with Mark. And he tells Mark, like, let me show you the, the fun side 
of Halloween. And so they go out and they start like egging houses and putting shaving cream on cars and stuff like that. You see Mark kind of like cutting loose and being like, I could be a punk. This is kind of fun. But before you know it, the police show up and catch <laughs> Does he cry? I hope he cries. <laughs> he oh! cries. He cries. And like, mommy, daddy, He really no! cries? So I, I don't think uh. he actually cries, but it would have made more sense if he did yeah. cry. Uh, so he definitely reconsidered the whole punk attitude and went back to being his nerdy, goody, goody Mark mm-hmm. self. He'll find a girl someday. Yes. And uh, that's what you find out. You know, he if you, if you need to, you know pierce your tongue to impress a girl you know maybe she's not the one you know <laughs> exactly. just do good in school and then uh you know become a become a yeah make a lot of money like steve jobs and uh that's all, that's yeah all exactly you polish your you can polish yes. your knob with steve job um there you go. <laughs> speaking of polishing knobs what's next on your list? i wanted to talk about another film that is one of my favorites Really, it's one of my favorites. It is okay. 1987's Surf Nazis Must Die. Oh, trauma. We were talking about yeah, that this off is, air. This is, some, this is some trauma content. And uh, yes. this movie is, okay, it's like, it's 87. It's This is actually the first movie I ever bought from a convention. Uh, okay. And DVD or VHS? I bought the DVD. Nice. Um, okay. I have the VHS now because I love it so much. It's it's on the shelf me behind me. But, you know, when I first went to a horror convention and for anybody who's never gone or maybe you don't know a lot about horror quite yet, or if you do, then you'll understand this as well. The first time you walk into a convention, you're like, there is a hundred thousand movies right in front of me that I've never heard of. And they all are from the 80s and they all look amazing. And what the fuck? So <laughs> Surf Nazis Must Die was the first movie I ever bought from a convention. And I was like, "What? how did I not know about this? Look at this cover. It's a punk on a surfboard that's powered by a chainsaw. And he has a cl- pincher claws from hands. And he's about to run over a babe and cut her with the chainsaw. Wh- so it's it's the cover that sold you. It wasn't the name. Well, yeah, it's a little bit of both. See, okay, fa- okay, famously, famously, eighties horror movies, their covers don't often reflect what is in the film. Well, they did a pretty good job on reflecting. <laughs> yeah, they did okay. Uh, there's no there's no surfboard with a chainsaw. Not to that extent, motor, no. but it, but it's close. Uh, this is a film about. Uh, post-apocalyptic kind of California. It's not really post-apocalyptic California. It kind there's of feels big, that way. It feels that way, but essentially what is really happening is there's a big giant earthquake that really devastates this community and economy and all this shit. So it feels post-apocalyptic, but the world is still there, still intact. And uh-huh. it's in California, and but now the beaches are ruled by these group of neo-Nazi punks. And, uh, you know, so there's a guy who goes by Adolf, <laughs> and he, he kind of looks yes. like a punk. He's like a punk Hitler. And uh, it is one of the great, like, man, when you put this movie in, you if you're not sold within the first literally 10 seconds, then it's, it's not prob- for you. It's not, it's for, not you. for you. <laughs> because I knew I put this on and it has this 80s B-movie action dark synth thing going. And you see Adolf surfing. It's a montage of him surfing, and then he's talking to the Nazi youth. It's a bunch of kids, and he's informing them about all this surfing stuff. And he goes, he's saying, "Goofy foot is an inferior breed. True surfers <laughs> lead, but their left foot forward." And it, you know, he goes, 
Where are the biggest waves? Waikiki Bay. Where are the blah, blah, blah. He's like, really, he's militant about surfing and, and punk uh-huh. lifestyle for these kids. Um, so this kind of plays out like your quintessential cheesy, but like in the best possible way, 80s action. It's not really that horror. Uh, no, it's more, of it's an more action. action. Yes. Uh, and it is wonderful. It is so good. Mm-hmm. Um all these punks, <laughs> these surf Nazis. Uh, so they run the beach. That's established in the beginning. So we got Nazis on the beach. They're doing. They're dealing the drugs. They're in control now. There's people trying to hang out on the beach. The Nazis kick their ass and throw them off. And pretty early on, we're introduced to this character named Leroy, who is a young, athletic, muscular African American Jenkins. Yeah, yeah. So he's a, <laughs> just a young athletic muscular african-american guy and you're thinking all right this is going to be the guy he's going to clean up the beaches he's going to beat up the nazis this is going to be great uh-huh. I'm, I'm sold no leroy gets killed by by the nazis in like the, what the first 20 minutes of like the film? <laughs> like quick and then yes. you're like, okay i actually don't know where this is going now and then we're introduced to big mama washington oh, who yes. is maybe the best um, lead for any '80s action movie ever. Just a just a big African American woman out for revenge she for her, her son. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. And uh, she finds out her son died, was killed by Nazis on the beach, Nazi punks. And uh, she goes and she says, "I gotta buy a gun." And she goes and she buys a gun. <laughs> big lady chasing these Nazis around and shooting at them, getting in a speedboat and running them over. Yes. It is the best. This is maybe the best movie ever. Now that I'm I, – I, now, I don't know. I, I wouldn't have said that 10 minutes ago, but now that I'm recounting what this movie is about, this might be the best movie ever. It's pretty fucking amazing. Big Mama Washington chasing down Nazi punks in post-apocalyptic Surf 80s California. Yes. Oh, my God. It's good. It is great. And she looks exactly like what you're picturing, you know. She's she's big mama, and she's got you know these big glaucoma glasses on, and she's got a big moo moo, and she's uh-huh. fucking coming for you, Adolf. Great movie, great depiction of punks and film, and gotta watch it. Please check it out. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know how to follow that one up, honestly. And I forgot how amazing and how batshit crazy that movie is. I think I'm going to go watch it after we're done I think with this I'm go- podcast. I really do think I'm going to <laughs> I now. I like, about how amazing I, have, that I don't is. know if I want to watch it on tape or DVD, but I'm going to watch. I'm going to inject it, it directly in my eyeballs. And, and for those who are listening, Troma, I, I think they still have it on their website. They have a, a, a big box re-release of Surf Nazis Must Die. So oh. I highly, re- highly, highly recommend buying it from, from them. Yeah. But I'm going to follow that one up with a made for tv punk movie called the day my kid went punk <laughs> and this is a part of uh, abc's after school specials uh and this was Holy released back shit. in 1987 so was this made with sincerity like this was a, a real this deal. was made with sincerity and the message didn't really come across to me until i rewatched it today because I, I originally watched this um on nickelodeon uh, as crazy as that sounds, probably 1992 or 1993. Cause they had like special bulletin where they would do like, they would rerun after school specials like ever so often. And this one for some reason came up and this movie is a pretty much a cautionary tale about kids becoming scary punks. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would go when I was in my little punk phase, um, 
you know, I, I like I said in the top, punk has it affected my life and it's still my favorite music to listen to, but I don't let it lead my life anymore. Uh, but when I, <laughs> when I was a teen and I had crazy hair and I had those spike gauntlets, man, I would go to Thanksgiving. I'd be freaking everybody out. Yes. That's kind of what this movie's about. It's uh, about this guy named Terry, who is a suburban nerdy teen that plays violin in a high school orchestra. Mm. But he is deciding that he wants to change his appearance to stand out of the crowd. And what does he do? Well, he cuts his hair and spray paints it red as a red mohawk. He he pierces one ear. Uh, It's the 80s for you. He wears a bunch of makeup. He goes and buys a leather jacket. And he joins a shitty punk band. Oh, that's the cherry on top. <laughs> that's I the hope cherry. he plays. I hope he plays violin in the punk band. He doesn't. He plays guitar. Right. And I really, really call it like a punk band. It's more. It sounds more new wave than anything else. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do like a Joy Division thing. It kind of pretty much. It's a little heavier than Joy Division. Okay. A little bit heavier. I gotta watch this. So uh, the the film begins. Uh, he's at his uh, final recital of the year. He decides he's going to take a summer job at a hotel running a nursery. But before he goes on to the train to go to uh, the hotel his, his, for a summer job, he goes into the bathroom and changes into his punk attire. Hell yeah. And what's fucked up is like at the beginning, you know, he's a poser because he asks his parents if it's okay if he becomes a punk. <laughs> Mom and dad, can I be a punk? <laughs> Oh, skin crawling. And you find out that his dad's a doctor and his mom is a psychology professor. So they're both kind of like shrug it off as like, no, you're probably really shouldn't. And in fact, the the mother is writing a a, a paper or like a a study called the punk syndrome. So it's like pretty much like a a cautionary tale towards parents saying that like this could happen to your kids. You don't want this to happen to your kids. So this is where like the the message kind of gets convoluted a little bit. So uh, he arrives at the the hotel in his punk attire. He introduces himself. The owners are completely confused about it because they heard from his parents that he was this really standout citizen who plays uh, violin in this orchestra. He's a great kid and stuff, but then they see this punk and they're completely confused. Right. And right, right. Um, he takes a lot of flack from for just looking different in general. And this is where like the film kind of plays up on the the misconception of punks, especially in the in the late '80s. And um, a lot of people are like are turning him down and treating him a certain way because just because of how he looks. And he's pretty much showing him different. Like for instance, there's a point where he takes all the kids to a uh, a horse place um, and to to ride some horses. And there's this kid who has this problem. Uh, with her legs, it can't fully ride a horse. Well, the parent of the kid's still there, and he ends up finding a way to get like this miniature horse or something to where this kid could actually ride the horse. And now the parent's like, even though you look way different, you're super kind to my child. All right, so, all, right all right, hold on. So he's horseback <laughs> riding as a as a punk, and this girl with messed up legs. There's a uh, lot to take in. There's a lot to take in with this film and a lot to unpack. Are you making this up as you go? I'm not, or, I wish right. I wish I could make this up so I can make this film myself, but I'm not. All this right. is all this is all really happens this in this is movie. Great. Okay. So the closer to the end of the film, uh, Terry's mother um, has a seminar about uh, her study called the Punk Syndrome, and uh, brings a lot of these like quote unquote punks uh, on, on a panel to discuss their experiences going punk and they explain that like their parents kicked them out 
uh, for piercing their ear or wearing a lot of black. This one kid even says, like, I was probably better off being a junkie because my parents can at least hide that I'm a junkie. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of gets intense at that point. Yeah. Um, but anyway, to kind of wrap up the, the film, this is just a story about an overlooked middle child that is trying to look for attention. You know, yeah. he's trying to be different and stand out. But <laughs> hold on to your pants because the satanic panic movement is just around the corner. Oh. <laughs> there's uh, so always something to scare parents with. There's always something to scare parents. Just you just you wait. But the, the day my kid went punk, it's on YouTube. So after you're done listening to this podcast, Jamie and our listener, please check it out. I yeah. think you will not regret it. I've heard of it. I just never watched it, and I did not know it went into uh, a horseback riding segment. Yes, That's great. It's, it's wild, and it's worth your time. <laughs> wild and crazy kids, man. <laughs> yep. All right, what's your last pick, man? Let's uh, let's round out the show. Oh, it's hard because I have a few here. Oh. All right, Uh-oh. I'm going to do one big pick, and then I'm going to do two that I don't really have a lot to say about, but they're great. Okay. Perfect. Uh, Because the two I almost have nothing to say about besides the fact that they're cool. Okay. But um, the one I have a little more to say about is uh, The Green Room from 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is is more recent and it's also a little more serious than what I've spoken about in the last couple picks. This is directed by probably my favorite or second favorite contemporary director, director that's coming up, Jeremy Saulnier. Uh-huh. Um, he did Murder Party, he did Blue Ruin, Hold the Dark, and of course, Green Room, as we're going to talk about here. Um, now, the story of this film is a punk band is touring, and they're playing this venue. It turns out to be run by neo-Nazis. <laughs> kind, of, um, kind of a, a common thread here. It's very yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Neo-Nazis, and uh, neo-Nazis are led by <laughs> Captain Picard. Uh, <laughs> uh, Which he does a great job. He's incredible. He's wonderful. Yes. And, uh, but the, pan- the band is in the green room, and they witness a murder uh, at the hands of the neo-Nazis that are running the mm-hmm. club. And the neo-Nazis catch wind that the band saw them you know, commit a murder. So now the band becomes the target and uh, the neo-Nazis want to silence them. So it is this big standoff. It is very, very, very tense edge of your seat. If you bite your nails, you won't have any left at the end of this film. It is, (laughs) it's wonderful. It shot really, really good. Yep. Excellent performances. Sadly, it is one of the last films of the late Anton Yelchin. Um, who was in the star the later Star Trek reboots? He was in the Fright mm-hmm. Night remake. He was in Odd Thomas. He was in the Thoroughbreds. He was in a lot of stuff. He was 27 years old when he passed away. So he's actually was, worked quite a bit with Patrick Stewart. I didn't really realize that. He uh, well, Patrick Stewart is not in those Star Trek films. This this is like oh, the, the, the more the recent 2009. Ones. I see. Ones, yeah. Okay, my but bad, it is my bad. but it is a strange overlap that he's with Patrick Stewart and he did in a Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. It is a weird. It is a weird. You know. But uh, yeah, he died in a freak accident. He's 27 years old. It was very tragic because he was sort of like an indie darling. All these great uh, indie movies, contemporary indie movies, he, he you would see his face in pretty often. Uh, so uh-huh. sad to see him go. But this is – he stars. So you know, if you want to celebrate the life of this great indie actor, critical darling, um, this is a great one to check out. The Green Room. Definitely. So two final picks that I don't have a lot to say about. Okay. Lay him on me. Class of Newcomb High, 1986. <laughs> nice. This is a uh, <laughs> the OG, the original. Yeah, this is a this is a Lloyd Kaufman joint of trauma. We have punks named Spike, Muffy, Gonzo, Spud. Uh, it's Gonzo, all about a high school. Yes. It's a high school next to a power plant, and their students begin to turn into gangs of mutant punk cretins. 
Uh, yep. So and the yeah. soundtrack is actually pretty fun too. The soundtrack is wonderful. Yes, um, I love I love when Troma makes their own soundtrack or at least like their own theme for for their movies. It, it's it's beautiful. It's I mean it it's the difference of when they try and when they don't try. Yes, you know what absolutely. I mean. And this yes. this is they were genuinely trying, and it is great. It's a mutant punks running over a high school. It's it's just wonderful. It is it's rock and roll high school on acid. Yeah. Um, and but then the other two kind of gets weird. Like kind of gets weird. It gets like Flash Gordon-y. Gets it's, a little it's worse. Very strange. It gets a little yes. worse. But definitely the original 1986 class of Newcom High. Definitely check it out. Highly recommended. And my final, I don't have a lot to say about, is Uncle Peckerhead from 2020. <laughs> More recent. Yes. yes, great movie. This is uh, the first feature length film of director Matt Lawrence. He did a few shorts before this. I met him at Panic Fest. You met him at Super Panic Fest. Super nice actually. guy. Super I have nice that, guy. Have that written down as my next point. Is yeah, you, oh. you saw this at, <laughs> yes. uh, at Panic Fest. So it, it's it's close to the uh, it's close to the podcast here. Yep. Currently available on Tubi for free. Yes. And it is a great movie about a little touring punk band that picks up a demon cannibal roadie named Uncle Peckerhead. And every night at midnight, uh, he transforms into a monster. Also and met him, too. Super cool guy as oh, well. Uncle so Peckerhead. humble. Like, yeah. Great guy, yes. But, uh, yes, I don't have a lot to say about it other than it's great. You should check it out. It's free. Yeah, it's you got to check it out. free on Tubi. I know it's close to the podcast as our, our very own Bryce uh, and up close. <laughs> and you were one of the first eyes to see it at the Panic Film Festival. Yes, that's, that's um, right. Yes, I, I think I think it's a pretty accurate. I mean, besides the fact that there's a flesh-eating monster, I think, like, the band feels like a real band. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and their, the music, too, is, is Music's fantastic. Great. Music's it's really great. great. It's awesome. Wow. Well, uh, we. I feel like I'm a, I'm a punk now. I don't feel like a poser anymore. Yeah, I, w- I was a poser <laughs> when this started, but I'm not now. I'm not anymore. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many things I, that I have got to check out. I'm definitely going to rewatch uh, Surf Nazis Must Die. I, I think it's probably so going to be top good. of my list right now. Big Mama Washington. Oh, my God. Yes. What I love in film is when you think you've got a movie figured out and then it just it flips it on you. I love that. You know, so like you're 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 a third into this movie and you're like, okay, here's Leroy, muscular African American dude. He's definitely here to fight the Nazis. No, Boom, he gets killed. Okay. Yes. And I'm then like, now what? Big Mama has to come <laughs> with the gun. Oh my god. So good. Good. So great, 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 so great, great, great. That's on top of my list. Uh, please, listeners, let us know if you've watched any of these, if, you've, if you're checking any of them out, or if you're going to check them out pretty soon, or have just watched them. We want to hear your opinion. We also want to hear the ones that we've missed. Yeah. Because there is a shit ton out there that we did not cover. We didn't cover SLC Punk, of course. Um, Train there's, spotting. There's so many. Yes, there's so many that we did not cover that we could definitely focus, what, four or five more episodes oh, on. Oh, yeah. I've always wanted to, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with documentaries on punk bands when I was a kid. You know, oh, me we too. talked briefly about Hated, the G.G. Allen documentary, uh, Decline of Western Civilization. American uh, Punk is great, too. Yeah, yeah. Yes, Henry Rawlings. Yeah, it's so many great just films out there in general about punk that you could cut your teeth anywhere. It, d- it doesn't matter where you start. They're all great. But I might recommend starting a Surf Nazis must die. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or start with Uncle Peckerhead. It's free on, on Tubi. There you go. Don't there cost you, go. you a dime. There you go. Exactly. I think that we should be sponsored by Tubi by now. I might reach out to them. And just and just let them know. Yeah, just to, just to put a bug in their ear. They'll our luck. They'll open it a podcast and they'll click at a random point. It'll me. It'll just be me like, and then this random thing coming out of my ass. 
<laughs> and they're like, no, nope, that deal's over. Never mind. That deal's over. <laughs> they really are bogus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the Forever Bogus Podcast. A big thank you out there to Gorgeous Jeff for recommending this. Yeah, man. If, if there's anything else that you guys want to hear on the Bogus Cast, please reach out to us. Either DM me on Instagram or send us an email at forever.bogus.forever at gmail.com. Or leave we a comment on Instagram. You. Or leave a comment. We would love to hear I, from I you. I feel like working off other people's ideas is gives me a lot of room for creativity. So, I yeah. I agree. If, if you are a listener to the show and you enjoy the show, you listen regularly, seriously, pitch us an episode. We'll probably definitely do it. Absolutely. Well, uh, until next time, always remember to be kind and rewind. And we'll all stay.